Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hi, I'm Utah's First Lady, Abby Cox, and I'm all about having candid conversations with fascinating people. Each week, we're going to dive into discussions on topics ranging from education to motherhood to mental health and beyond. I'm all about getting proximate with people who have different points of view, and I'm dedicating my time as First Lady to combating our country's empathy crisis. Come along with me as my friends and I journey to bring courage, compassion, and connection back into our homes and communities and have a lot of fun along the way. I'm going to start today by introducing you to my incredible co-hosts. All right, let's get proximate. Welcome, friends, to our podcast. I want to tell you what you can expect from First Lady and Friends. I'm going to introduce you to some incredible people across the state. We're going to have a book club. We're going to be pulling back the curtain on what it's like to be Utah's first family. I'm going to introduce you to my First Lady initiatives. And we're going to have projects that we're going to be doing out in the community. And the friends, we are so excited to to introduce the friends. And we have... Kirsten here today. We are going to introduce in the next couple episodes our amazing friends. And you all know from Cox and Friends, Kirsten Rapley. She is the director of the First Ladies Initiatives. And we're going to get to know her today. So welcome, Kirsten. This is going to be so fun. For those of you who don't know out there, uh, the First Lady and I, back before she was the First Lady and I was the director of First Ladies Initiatives in a a former life, um, did a podcast with with our crazy group of friends in this exact same room where we are right now. And so for us, this feels a little nostalgic today, getting back into the studio and and getting back into our podcast vibes. And um, I'm so excited because we have a like sort of a new ragtag group. of I, I, I can't even call the ladies that are going to be part of this ragtag, though. They're like the classiest, most ambitious people. And I'm so excited for us to just get to talk and share the things that we're learning. And, 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 and like you said, the people who are out there in the state and elsewhere who are teaching us things. That's what, that's when one of my favorite things over the last, uh, what has it been, two months now since since you rolled into this spot. I mean, the moment your husband, our dear good friend, Governor Spencer Cox, raised his arm to the square and, and pledged an oath to the state, like your life changed and all of our lives changed to are in your orbit. And so I'm just so excited to to get to share all of those experiences with whoever it is who decides to listen to this awesome pod. <laughs> Thank you, Kirsten. We, we're excited, but we want to get to know you. you we, there's, people know a little bit about me, and we'll, we'll continue to share, and we can talk to each other about, um, uh, but we, we want to introduce um, the friends here today. And um, Kirsten, 
let's just go back to where we met. Where <laughs> do you remember? Holy cow! I actually was going to ask you if you remembered because it feels like it's been such a time warp over the last, for sure, a year with um, my, my employment working with the now governor on COVID. And then the, for the two years prior to that, working with him as his chief of staff. And and before that, I was still with the team. So I was I was working with Governor Herbert as his press secretary back in the time. And so I know that's like when you came into my life. But it's so funny because um, I think you don't, I mean, you don't always know when you meet somebody for the first time that they're going to be somebody who ends up being like a huge, huge part of your life, you know, and like a very so close friend. And so I, I think I need, I was just thinking I need to make a habit of like writing those things down, right? Like today I met someone, and I'm not a journaler, so let's be honest, I'm not actually going to do it. But if I were like the best version of myself, I would. <laughs> so I don't know, but, but I do like remember early things about you, like watching you just be you at events and I knew that you were sort of um, just like unapologetic and I wouldn't say rough and tumble but whatever is like the next classiest level of rough and tumble just like <laughs> just so yourself and that um, you know trying to figure out the coxes you and and your husband in this political world was so interesting to me because uh, my background is in in political staffing. I've worked with like probably hundreds of politicians. I don't know at this point. And you just had such a different vibe. So while I don't remember like the exact moment we met, I remember like, oh, there's something really interesting going on here. And I hope I get the chance to dig into this. And like now years later, we're just super tight. So I don't know. What do you remember? Well, I know I, you know, I just remember you in the office too, you know, whenever I was there. And I think... um you know, we can we I can tell the story of of kind of how you became um, Spencer's chief of staff, mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting because uh, we were in need of a you know a new chief of staff, and um, he was we were he and I were talking it over, and he was mentioning names, and I said to him, and of course they were all men, and I <laughs> said to him, well, what about what about Kirsten? And I've seen I had seen you in the role with you know as a spokesperson for the governor, and had just been you know just really impressed. I mean, you're so articulate, <laughs> you're so uh, anyway, just really impressive and and young. And I was, but just so impressive. And so I said to him, "What about Kirsten?" And he, it was just a moment where we both. Is that possible? Like, is that a thing? Can we do we ask people in their mid to late twenties to do chief of staff roles? Yeah, and and traditionally, a, a male person like that does not have a female chief of staff. I mean, just oh, right. there was no For reason sure. not to. Well, that, that's that was the question we were asking ourselves. There's a lot to grapple with when making a decision like that. Yeah, do we is can we do that? Is right. that a thing that we can do? And and we talked about it and kind of ruminated about it and he thought you know uh, more about it and said I don't see any reason why we couldn't uh so yeah it was just one of those things and and then we did and she was wonderful and uh, again here we are um all these years later still working together and doing amazing things together so it's been fun yeah that is so crazy to think about and the world has changed so much since that time but there were I remember um kind of being in that same space except I didn't I didn't think I could do it. <laughs> um, I I think I told this story to you know our friends before, but for for those who did not listen to Cox and Friends, um, I found out that I was pregnant with my first baby like three days before 
your husband called me into his office and said, hey, we have this opening and I want you to step into this role. And I just like it was such a like vertigo moment for me. I was it was like I was excited and stressed the heck out because I like I can't do that. I do communications and I like I chief of staff is a big title that sounds really intimidating and also like no one in the world except for my husband knows that there's like a baby growing in my belly right now right and so long story short I ended up talking to my husband about it and and being so grateful for really the chance that Spencer took on me in that moment and that you you took on me and um just deciding that we could make this work and that we could go for it and we had so many experiences we'll get to um at some point because it's just so such a big part of my life about like just navigating this space as a woman in in, in um, political staffing who's just you know trying to figure out being a new mom but you guys knew about my baby in my belly for like a month and a half I think it was like six weeks before we even told our parents and it's like uh, bond made and from there on out we were just all bound to be best friends forever <laughs> I know I love that so much we were good secret keepers so now now you know we you can remember be- when you were around my parents during that time though and yes. you knew and they didn't yet it was like yes. a Christmas party and you're like how could you even put them in the same room as me <laughs> I'm actually traditionally not a great secret keeper because, you know, when you have seven sisters, you, uh, you know, a secret is just which which sister you're going to tell it to. So that's how how it works. But hey, I want to I want to keep getting into this and I want some more of your, you know, your background on this. Um, But let's take a break and we'll come right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Kirsten, let's get into some... Other fun information about you. That feels vulnerable. I know. Tell me. So you <laughs> Your life up. is an open book, but I don't know if it minds me. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, tell me about, you know, you grew up in a pretty political family. Yeah. And you're the oldest. And so tell me about that. Your dad was very politically active. Your mom is, too, um, mm-hmm. in in. In ways, yeah, not, not as a candidate, but yeah. And so tell me what that was like. You know, I have, you know, obviously kids that are growing up in this sort of environment. Um, what was it like for you growing up in a political family? Yeah, that actually is a really interesting parallel between like what your kids are experiencing and what I did. I, uh, and I love that you ask about my family. You know, that's so central to my life. My my parents uh, live in my neighborhood right now, right? And they're they're what makes my life tick and what makes my life possible because they hang out with my sweet babies at home while I come and take on these things with you. So um, I love that you want to hit that. Um, my dad stumbled into politics uh, in, you know, the early 2000s when I was pretty young. I think I was 12. 13 when my dad got into the Utah State Legislature. And that's a whole story in and of itself. I think everybody who enters the legislature in one way or another has a crazy story. But um, so I was always like sort of politically adjacent. And granted, when I was you know, 13, I didn't really care what my dad was doing. I knew that he worked at a pretty building. And I loved that they let me skip a day of school every legislative session to come up and just hang out. And I think somewhere in that space was born like 
just the opportunity to view up close, like talk about getting proximate. I was like a 13 year old and I was watching, you know, bills be debated on the, the floor of the house. And I recognize that that is like such a privilege and an opportunity now. But honestly, for me, like fast forward into and actually I should say my mom my mom has been an advocate um, in the education space for a long time and I always got to watch the really cool stuff she did and I I watched my mom be an example of how to get crap done in your community um, for the for the better and she still does she's one of those same 10 people that do everything STP she seriously seriously is it was like just the craziest stories I could tell you about the stuff she's been through but um, it was always very like I had the example of these incredible parents who were able to show me how to make a difference in their community. Um, And, you know, fast forward to college and literally like this is the dumbest thing to admit, but I went into political science as a major in college. I was up at Utah State. Go Aggies. Go Aggies. Um, We'll hit a lot of Aggie content in this podcast, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, But I went into political science as a major because I thought it would be easier for me since I already had a background and I like wanted to spend my time doing other stuff, right? Like being, I'm kind of a social creature in some ways and I like wanted to be in clubs and just clubs as in like, you know, school clubs, not as in the dance. Club, but that did happen sometimes. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. That, that sometimes too. Um, and and so I just picked it as a major. And honestly, some point at some point during like the academic experience of it, and, and then having watched that practical application, like I learned that this is a place where I can make a difference in in the community around me and I, I loved it and so that's kind of you know I talk, I call myself the eternal intern because I went from being a legislative kid to doing a billion internships in the space like I literally did five in college that were all in politics Wow. Um, jumped into working for the state legislature after that through a really wonderful opportunity um, that chief of staff back then gave me and fast forward and now I'm here and it's just it's been a huge blessing that is incredible let me ask you this so with your dad in the legislature, um, did you see a lot of negativity as a child? Like, did you or were you unaware of it or did you, you know, what? And again, it was a few years ago right. and Wasn't things may have world. Yeah, I didn't say yeah. things have, you know, with social media and things have gotten worse and more accessible to children. But um I think I was more aware of it probably than your typical kid. Um, sometimes my dad would bring home letters, like actual physical letters, of course, um, you know, in the early 2000s as they did, um, <laughs> as you that do. people would send him. He he had a file, as as you do, from Jaron Hall. Um, <laughs> and they, like people would draw him pictures of like really weird stuff. And, and so I was sort of aware that the things he was doing brought criticism into his space. And I definitely had to grapple with that and and. F- I was aware, you know, even choosing this for my own career, that all that was part of this space. I would say the most like influential experience I had with that was um, my dad um, ended up leaving the legislature (laughs) through this crazy experience where the boundaries changed. And we ended up finding out like way later than we should have that we no longer lived in the district he was supposed to represent. And that's like a no, no for those of you who are in not in politics like you can't do that. And so um, I got a call from him when I was like a freshman in college. I think it was one night and he and it just changed everything for us and all of a sudden like the next day there were like reporters on campus trying to come find me and oh no um, and I was looking at like all these mean things that people were saying I did not know then as I know now that you never read the comments right Right. when people are talking about you um and I just think it's it's nasty but what you get to do 
outweighs the nasty if you are in this world of public service for the right reasons. If you have things you're passionate about and like you're choosing initiatives that really matter to you and that you feel all the way through you, Abby Cox, and like that's going to carry through all of the nasty, stupid stuff that people say and do. So, yeah, like the negativity's always been there. But I think um, and and, and again, like through your campaign, you were able to prove like there are ways to be um, not impervious to that. Nobody is. But but to move on with your life and and still see the good. Yeah, and and there's there's definitely some mental health skills that it takes to um, navigate some of that. Yeah, and you earn resilience in this space. Mine are probably um, not as um, effective, or or maybe they're not. I don't know. Whatever. I just basically disengage, (laughs) (laughs) which is also a tactic that sometimes we need is just. Take yeah. the space you need, right? Take yeah. So, hey, this is, this has been really fun. But I have this really fun thing that we want to do. We want a rapid fire question. Here we go. <laughs> and this just helps us to really like dig into your personality and who you really are. And this this will be fun. So for this last little while, let's let's do this. Okay, let's hit it. Okay, I have a a really interesting question for you. Vulnerability for you is. <laughs> like most of my life. <laughs> it's like doing the thing that feels so uncomfortable, which is like the first time you try anything until you get to the point where it's okay. Like talking into a podcast mic right now. This is not as scary as it maybe once would have been. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's probably still pretty scary for yeah. me. Did but... I just break the fourth wall? Is that a thing in <laughs> podcasting? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> uh, okay. So what do people often get wrong about you? <laughs> Um, I think people often judge like the working mom, if you will, about like that. I don't I've I've had some really weird offhand comments by people who meant so well and didn't mean to uh, say what they did, like that. Maybe I just don't care enough about my kids um, for being in the working space. And I think, you know, quite the contrary for certain personalities. It's uh, it's this makes me a better mom in so many ways. Yeah, I get to be my whole self when I'm with them. I love it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what's the last show you binged and loved? <laughs> uh, the Queen's Gambit on oh, Netflix. Such a good yeah, one. We could not get enough of it. I, if there was a way they could make that like six seasons, which I know they can't and they want and nothing like that will ever be recreated again. But it was so good. I've did heard you guys the, watch it? You I, it? We did. And I heard the <sighs> book was even more amazing. And I think some Ooh. people were not happy with the movie because of her. Anyway, I just read a little thing about how she was portrayed kind of differently, like like I guess in the oh, book she was very unattractive and you know that was kind of part of the and whole Anya Taylor-Joy is thing like and she's in the world yeah. she's actually Just, really beautiful you know she ends up really beautiful there's some the, artistic liberties taken yeah. it sounds like well um, my husband did buy me a chess set for Christmas after the fact I'm embarrassed to say that we have not played it once because like we kind of started this you know a new adventure with you around that time and like things, and also we're COVID a little busy we're busy but we'll get there I am embarrassed to admit I don't actually know how to play chess I don't either that, you don't? No, I don't. I my kids do. What, my kids have played, but I've never really played. We as kids, <laughs> nobody ever taught us, so we just always played checkers with the chess. Yeah, pieces. yeah. Okay, that's as far as I'm going to get for like the near future. But it's yeah. a goal. Maybe yeah. you can take it on with me. Okay, we'll do it. it. Let's go. Uh, favorite movie? 
I have so many favorite movies. I cannot possibly answer that question. Um, if it's Pixar, I most likely love it because I'm like, if I'm watching something on the TV, I don't do enough screen time in my life to like watch sad things or scary things. Yeah. It's got to be like blissfully entertaining and hilarious or romantic. And I'm not in on that. And Pixar is 100% of the time those things. So yeah. you name it, Pixar, I love it. Um, I also, yeah, no, that's, that's it. That's it. I, I Pixar, um, Mean girls. mean girls. I love that. I do like some movies with some pith, some depth, but we're not going to get into that today. <laughs> uh, best concert you've ever been to? I uh, The first concert I ever went to was my best concert. It was a band that none of you guys are going to know because I'm hipster like that. No, that sounds really... It, it was a band called Cartel that was like really are, cool. Is that an do you old know, joke? Okay, do you, producer Josh, who we're bringing back into the fold here, breaking the fifth wall, is looking at me like I'm stupid. <laughs> it was called Cartel and it. I loved the band. I was probably like 14 or 15 when I went. And what was actually cool about it though is that like it was my first solo concert, right? Like I did not have my parents with me. I had my cousin with me and we like you know, twiddled around the whole place. And that, like that feeling of like independence and music and being in this like dark lit cool space, that was like so formative and so awesome for me. So I have to say like, mine is probably, I will sound like I'm 70 years old, (laughs) but I actually, one of the best concerts I ever went to was Simon and Garfunkel. Yes. I grew up when my parents were like huge Simon and Garfunkel fans. And that's what we listened to when we were kids. And so we went, it was several years ago, maybe like 10 years ago, they came to Salt Lake. And so I feel like a hundred years old, but I, like, well, they, they jam though. They, I have they, a yeah. lot of, I have like really sensitive hearing. So we go, Spencer loves well, you concerts. Have sensitive hearing? Well, I, I don't know. Like what I go it? to concerts and it just hurts my ears. Oh, it's sure. just so sure, incredibly sure. loud. I'm like, it, it doesn't, the things you learn about somebody, you know, feel when? like I don't, it just feels like not super fun because I'm like I would rather just listen to the music at a normal level yeah 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 okay that's fair Um, fun fact about Simon and Garfunkel I have a very my my youngest baby is like she's wonderful but she was very colicky when she was little for some reason the sound of silence would always like chill her out so I would sing it like until I got hoarse and it would this is a fun fact Spencer used to rock Gavin to sleep because he was a terrible sleeper too um, to the gambler, the Kenny Rogers gambler. <laughs> so weird thing. That's probably why weird Gavin turned you. out the way he did. But <laughs> what do you do? I love it. Okay. Hey, uh, favorite meal on um, anything my husband cooks. He's an incredible cook. Holy cow. I think my favorite meal is anything Troy cooks too. Seriously, seriously, seriously. Like, okay, he makes this um, lasagna that's like the true Italian version of lasagna. I don't think I've found it anywhere in the United States. but And it costs like, you guys, it's like $40 or more just to make a, like a little pan of it. It's so <laughs> stupid. And I can only get him to make it for me like a few times a year. But it's like, it will blow your mind. And I oh. get so selfish with it. Like... It, oh, his so barbecue, good. he the saucy yeah. mate. Oh, He's amazing at barbecue. And you know what? The other thing I've got to throw in there is gelato. I'm a huge gelato uh, person by marriage because of this wonderful husband that I've acquired into my life. He recently, um, through wonderful luck, learned this wonderful recipe of um, like salted Oreo gelato. I brought mm. some up to you. And I know, you and, and Spencer I still didn't try it because it got left in the freezer and I didn't get it. Yeah, so. it it will happen. But like it, it rules my life. Salted Oreo gelato. Everyone, uh, it will rule your life. Delightful. Yep. Uh, okay, couple more really quick. What's on your nightstand? My nightstand is so boring, and I'm proud of that because I it means I cleaned. My nightstand has my computer chargers, my um, 
and my phone charger. It has the baby outlet, like you oh, know, like you the go. little monitor that connects to an app. Parenting is so weird these days. We, you're we not, should get you're into not this later. old like me, and you need you need something really boring on your nightstand to fall asleep to. That's that's where I'm at. Oh my gosh, no! I just <laughs> scroll like through Twitter until I fall asleep, so that doesn't even have to be on my nightstand. And I would also say the other thing that's regularly on my nightstand is like whatever random thing my son has found somewhere in the house, and like put <laughs> like he just tends to put stuff there. I th- I think he like should have been a hunter gatherer because he'll find like the most random stuff. I'm like, I haven't even seen this in like five years. How is it on my nightstand now? There's nothing like that currently, but like old pictures or like random like nuts and bolts end up there. Like, of course, his <laughs> toys. It's like I should just like maybe start a photo album of my oh, nightstand. I love it. OK, this is a fun one. A snapshot of an ordinary moment that gives you true joy. <laughs> OK, Um Yesterday, the same. So I guess I'm going to talk about my kids a lot. Is that my oh, plan? of course you do. I'm a new mom. I have that's what we are. are. I have a two and a half year old. I'm an and, old and mom, and I talk about my kids. Month so old. it's good. It, they're and they're just like the most wonderful thing about my life. So um, yesterday, I had brought home from our service project. You, you and the um, second gentleman, Gabe, hosted a service project, and there were some leftover cookies. So I brought them home because I wanted to give one to my son, and I wanted to like do the thing where you close your eye, you have him close his eyes, and then hold out his hand, and then you put the cookie in the hand, and it's all you know. Big yeah. Surprise. But he's being the two and a half year old that he is, I didn't realize this, but hand eye coordination is really hard sometimes <laughs> for these little ones. So I was like trying to get him to hold out his hand and close his eyes. But when he would hold out his hand, he would open his eyes. And then when he would close his eyes, he would like close, close his, his hand. hand. <laughs> like he couldn't, he just couldn't get it. And so, and like we tried and tried and tried. And eventually he got it. And I put the cookie in his hand, but like he opened his, and of course he was excited about the cookie, but I think he was so excited. Like just this giant, massive smile on his face that was like, Heck yeah, I did it. Like I op- <laughs> I closed my eyes and I opened my hand and I got that cookie. And that was just like one of those fun little mom paydays. I love it. One, one final last thing really quick. What are you thankful for? Mm, I'm thankful for grace. I'm thankful for um, the opportunity to have times and seasons in our life where where things change, where we're not the same people that we once were and um, the opportunity that we have to like really take a, a step back and just like let ourselves be who we are in the moment. Love it. We are going to, Kirsten, thank you. This has been amazing. Yeah. Uh, We have another friend coming right up, so we'll be right back. So we are back here today um, with another friend of mine, my dear friend, Jeanette Bennett. And welcome, Jeanette. Thanks, Abby. I'm excited to be here. Oh, this is, this is fun. So, um... We we talked to Kirsten and yes, and uh, had a great conversation and now um, let's let's talk about Jeanette Bennett. Um, <laughs> let's jump in. I know how did, uh, let's. I'll ask you how did we meet? I <laughs> okay. hope you remember. Well, I I remember the first two times. I can't remember which one was first, but they were both at Utah Valley University at UVU. Yes. Yeah. So we both spoke on a panel for women students and faculty and uh, got asked a lot of questions about women's roles and women in education and balancing. And and it was really a beautiful event that Susan Madsen hosted, who is a gem to the state. Yes. And we plan to hopefully have her on this podcast at some point. And we were just discussing our experiences as women. And uh, so I know we had a great night that night. And then I also remember when we were seated together at the UVU Scholarship ball yeah and, and I think that was first was that first okay I think I'm pretty sure because I think that's the first time I met you okay 
at least in my memory. I, that, that's, I bet you're right. Let's go with your memory. <laughs> and that was such a fun night. They do an amazing job with those events, lots of great food, but more importantly, great conversation, great people. And that's when I really heard how you and your husband met and the, the funny stories that mirrored some of mine as well. And that was just a, a great night. That so, was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so, a few years ago. So, and you've done a ton with UVU. I'm and, a big fan, big cheerleader yeah. of UVU. Yeah. Yes. And are you are you on the So I'm on the UVU Foundation Board. Okay. And I've been on several other boards. And then I I help with that scholarship ball, which they do an amazing job at. I've emceed it the past few years, and I'll be doing it again this fall. And so I was a great friend with with the Hollands and did a couple cover stories. I own Utah Valley Magazine, so we did a couple cover stories on Matt and and Paige. And then President Tuminez has been on our cover as well. And so I'm a huge fan. It's it's the state's largest university. People don't realize that. People don't realize that. It's a gem and they have amazing programs world-class programs right there in the heart of Orem and uh, so I do spend a lot of time there I actually went to BYU not UVU but I do have an honorary doctorate from UVU so I I have that degree in my office and I'm very proud of my association with the school well and I I remember it wasn't that first time we met at UVU but it was just was it a year ago or well, it would have been two years ago. Time is so weird with COVID. I, know, I honestly there's a time warp. It went fast. It went slow. I, fast, I honestly slow. have no sense of time about how long things were right. ago, and um, so it's really weird. But I do remember you, you emceed, and you and and uh, President Jimenez is, is that was such <laughs> a fun time. You were both dancing. That you was, were both. That was a fun night. So she she had this idea to dance with the ballroom dancers. So at their scholarship ball, they have a lot of their performing students do these beautiful numbers and beautiful costumes. And she wanted to jump in a number and do a Bollywood type number. So they asked me as the MC, would you be comfortable being part of a number too? And the thing is, I feel like my best talent is that I'm willing. Like yes. I'm, I'm bold. I'm fairly brave. You but say that, yes. But then and that's I don't have the talent to back oh. it up. <laughs> you do too. That's not true. So they asked me to sing um, a song from The Greatest Showman with a Broadway performing uh, professor who was awesome. He was so great to work with, so talented. And uh, and then I was supposed to be his his duet, you know, in this yeah. song. We ran through it like twice, you know. I mean, I worked <laughs> on it on my own a ton, trying to learn the harmonies. And then that night, yeah, just I just tried to go for it. It was actually a super fun night. And I'll never have another chance to sing with a Broadway performer Oh, again. my gosh, right? Yeah. That's, it, that's when you jump at it. it yeah. That, it was amazing. It I was thought fun. you were incredible. So. Well, thank you. I did notice when we were rehearsing, our mics were, were even. They were both equally loud. The night of the performance, they did turn they my turned mic down, down. <laughs> which was a very good choice on their part. Well, yeah. well they shouldn't have because you, you were amazing. Well, it was fun. UVU does things over the top, and I love being part of it. Oh, well, and, and that event is really cool because the best part of it, I think, well, the show and everything is really fun, and they have such amazing talent, but they have this incredible culinary program. Absolutely. And so you are having, like, it's everybody's, like, all the politicos, like, it's all their favorite event Mm -hmm. because the food is unbelievable. It's hard to describe. It's so beautiful. You want to take pictures of it before you eat it. And then as you're eating it, you're looking around at the table going, can you believe this? This is like a miracle in my mouth. It's so amazing. Yeah. And I've always been impressed that the governor's always there. Lieutenant Governor's always been there. Like you're saying, a lot of the uh, political leaders and others, everybody wants to go. It's always sold out. It's the big event. It mm-hmm. really is. And I, I remember the first time we ever was like, oh, you have to come. You have to come. It's this big. I'm like, really? 
what? What is it? Anyway, and we went the first time. I'm like, what am I eating? What is no. this? Oh, my gosh. It was so good. It's amazing. And that, that night when I sang that song, they raised a million dollars for scholarships Incredible. for you. And so everybody leaves feeling supportive of the university. And uh, President Holland and President Chiminez have both been so gracious in, yeah. in engaging the community. And, yeah. and we feel engaged with them and we want to help. It's been just a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch and be part of. Yeah, so tell me a little bit more about um let's let's talk a little bit about your journey in getting into the magazine and a little bit about your family because you've been kind of running this together. Yes, raising your, a family and yeah. a business at the same time. Yes, yes. Yeah, tell me a little bit about so that. So I grew up in Idaho Falls, the daughter of a school teacher, and my older sister always played school. And I always played journalist and she <laughs> became that. a teacher and I became a journalist and I, I always was just fascinated with it, with broadcast journalism, print journalism, and it just fit me. I was very curious and observant of people and I realized that everybody had a story and I was interested in, in that in third grade. I started this little school um, newsletter that I think lasted one one issue, but I interviewed <laughs> the school uh, lunch coordinator oh nice <laughs> you know because I just thought nobody ever talks to her I'd like to know what she thinks and oh you know gosh, I love that and so that was that was how it was my high school job was at the tv station in Idaho Falls where I grew up and uh, I loved that and then as I went to college I just I uh, worked on school newspapers was editor there and and uh, then I worked at the Desert News until I became a mom. And uh, and it, it's just been my passion, journalism, just the, telling stories, gathering information, figuring out how to share it in a way that is interesting and inspiring to others. And so I was, I, I graduated and I got my bachelor's and master's in journalism and then was working at the Deseret News, expecting my first child, not really thinking, not really realizing my worlds were about to collide. Mm. And I should have realized that. And I have really enjoyed being able to talk to young women and expecting moms about those worlds colliding because it is a really unique time yep. when your path of education and career and your plans for your family, all of a sudden you're facing them both. And how do they work together? And do they work together? And, and everybody's path is different, but I, I think we need help talking through that transition. Anyway, my transition led me to be an entrepreneur. So I was working at the Desert News until about 12 hours before I gave birth, and I thought I would come back, and I actually didn't. And it was then that I started thinking back to my business minor and my just my, my skills and thinking, I think I could start a business and have the best of all worlds, was what I was hoping, uh, have my kids with me, start a business, be able to still communicate and write. And that's how the business was born. Started small at first, and then in 2000, we launched Utah Valley Magazine, which was a pretty big undertaking. And that's we just celebrated our 20th anniversary last September. And I, magazine. I was going to say, I encourage you all to subscribe. It's wonderful. Oh, it's it's an incredible magazine. It's very well done. And, and it's very popular around the state. I mean, you see it in every every uh, dentist office, every doctor's office. Every, a lot of people I see, see it, it everywhere. everywhere. We make a point to send it to those places because there's a captive audience there. When yeah. those doctors make you wait for a bit. So, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, the reason it's great is because Utah has great people. Yeah. And so it's fun to be able to capture those stories. And I've been privileged to be able to do that for 20 plus years now. That's amazing. So we're going to be right back. We're going to continue our conversation with Jeanette Bennett in just a minute. We are back here with Jeanette Bennett, the amazing Jeanette Bennett. Oh, thanks, Abby. <laughs> and um, before we get, I, I want to ask you, I know you've had uh, some health um, issues. 
the last yes. year or so. You've had a little cancer journey. Yes, 2020 served say up little. <laughs> a lot of surprises. Yes, I didn't get COVID, but I did get the other C word. I got, I got cancer in 2020. <laughs> and, you know, I'm to the point where I can honestly say there's so many good things that have come from it. And it's it's not completely over, but I'll kind of talk you through it. So last uh, spring, when the world started falling apart, uh, which was almost a year ago, it was March 11th, we were having a launch party for our magazine as we heard Rudy Gobert tested positive. Yep. And the next day, we couldn't have had the, the day party. The world shut down. Yes. And, uh, and right about that time, I started, I wasn't feeling awesome. I was feeling really tired, not feeling like myself, but I had a lot of reasons for it. Like, yeah. COVID's changing things. Our business is changing. We were getting ready to move. And uh, and then, you know, it just still didn't feel right. And so I actually got an MRI for some things. My right leg was going numb. We thought maybe some MS symptoms were happening. And they didn't find what we thought we were going to find, but they accidentally, air quotes, saw my thyroid and it was covered with growths. Mm-hmm. So they said, "Our your main takeaway here is go find a thyroid specialist and mm-hmm. check this out. And so I have, I think it's a blessing and a curse, but really, I, I'm just positive about everything. I think the Jazz are going to win the championship every year. I think BYU is going to be the national you champions every year. Both every year. <laughs> and so when he, they said that, I really wasn't devastated. I wasn't worried. I'm like, well, this. I'm sure it's nothing. Everything's fine. Yeah. Cheerleading my way through life. And so I did. I, I even waited a few weeks and then went in and um, and they did a biopsy and and they were also alarmed at what they were seeing. But again, I was like, I really feel like it's all going to be okay. So then when I went back the week later when they had all the biopsy results and they told me that it was 100% for sure cancer, mm-hmm. I was it really hit me in the gut. I was like, wow, I thought I could think my way out of this. Yeah. Uh, I thought everything would be fine. And that's a really hard word to wrap your head around. Yeah. And people will tell you thyroid cancer is the best cancer, and the statistics really do play out. It's not a cancer that that generally kills you unless it it spreads and things so it's it's generally one that if you're going to have cancer it's it's a better one to have but still it's it's a word you don't want to hear my grandma died of cancer i know others who have as well it's it's just something you don't want to hear so that put me on a journey of wellness and learning i wasn't eager to lose my thyroid cuz it's a really cool cool organ <laughs> it does awesome stuff that you know we could go into but yeah. i just thought if there's any way and I was watching documentaries and reading and talking and doing all this holistic stuff and also meeting with doctors. And and uh, I ended up at Huntsman and meeting with the specialists there. And I was just really reluctant to lose my thyroid. But I did come to the point where I, I realized that it, I needed to do that. And uh, I was hoping for a miracle, hoping the tumor would go away. It did not. I actually had two more that they found at the next scan. And so... I hiked to the top of Timpanogos, which I do every year, wow. and it was at the top of Timp that I called Huntsman and the Huntsman Cancer Center, and just said, "Okay, I'm I'm ready to schedule that surgery." Like wow. it, it felt, it felt like I was succumbing to it in a way, and I just wanted to conquer it without having to lose it. That's a permanent loss yeah. of a thyroid, yeah, and uh, and it changes a lot of things forever. So, but I was ready to do it. I'm like, I've conquered this mountain. I will conquer this other mountain, whatever that might look like. And so then I had the surgery in September and they took out my thyroid and lymph nodes. It was central neck dissection is what they call it because wow. uh, it was in the lymph nodes as well. And so 
then I've just been recovering from that. I have another growth in my body that we're watching that um, it's so, you know, I don't feel like my cancer journey is completely tied up in a red bow. It's over. Let's put that on the shelf. I'll be having scans and, and worries because of some other things we're discovering for the, you know, probably for the rest of my life. But it has changed my perspective in some really cool ways. Mm. You know, like this was happening the same time our magazine turned 20. And instead of feeling super sad and like, I don't want to celebrate that and life is going downhill. I instead wanted to be like, I'm going to embrace life. You never know what tomorrow is going to bring. I, I mean, that. COVID changed a lot of people's lives. Cancer changed mine. You know, th- things happen. And so two weeks after my surgery, I, I had this 20th anniversary party for the magazine. I initially pictured it before COVID. I pictured it being like for the community and inviting advertisers and people that had been on the cover and having it be like a big party in a big space. But it ended up just being uh, everyone who's ever worked for me in the 20 years. Oh, and wow. um and I wanted a chance to say thank you to them. And that's one of the gifts of cancer is that I, I found that I was saying I love you more to people that you feel it, but you're like, is it going to be awkward if I say it? But I found that I wanted to. I wanted to say I love you. I wanted to say thank you. I wanted to tell people what I loved about them. And so, yeah, it was 14 days later, uh, we had the party and celebrated it. And I was able to say thank you. And we took a picture of, I mean, not everyone could come, of course, but the people that were there, we took a picture and we put that in the 20th anniversary issue. It's just like, here's the team. This is not just me. This is definitely not just me. This is everybody, all the salespeople, designers, writers, office help, all of the people, including my family uh, through the years. So that was, that was like a really milestone moment for me to have reached 20 years in the print world, which that's not, (laughs) not super easy in the digital world. No, not at all. And then to have done it with, with that cancer journey alongside. Wow. Just incredible. One thing I know and admire about you, Jeanette, is, um, your ability to listen. I just know you, I guess I see, I see people and I think, Ooh, I wish I I wish I was better at that like her. (laughs) You're a fantastic listener. You've been listening to me for 20 minutes. (laughs) No. And so my question is, I guess, I mean, is that something that comes naturally to you? um, Or is that something that you've cultivated over the years? I actually do feel like it is one of my, my talent, skills, gifts from childhood even. I feel that I'm a quieter person. I'm an observer. I don't need to be the class clown. Um, I just enjoy other people. And so I think it comes naturally for me to ask the questions and listen than to tell my own stories and to think that whatever I have to say is the most important thing. And uh, and I do love listening to people. I think it's fascinating. You know, every everybody, it's so cliche, but it's so true that everybody has a story. Uh, I think... I think the best part about listening, and I've become better at this through my career. In the early stages, I would write out my 20 questions. I had to be so prepared in the order of the questions. And now when I go in to interview people, I do have an idea, of course. And I do my research so that I don't ask dumb questions like, what yeah. do you do for a living? I mean, I need to know these <laughs> things. should know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I also don't want to spend my time thinking about the next question on my list. I want to just... I want to absorb what they're saying so that at the end I can say, well, tell me more about that. Or how did you feel about that? Yeah. Or what happened next? You know, so that because I think a lot of times we listen, but we're we're waiting for our turn to say, well, what happened to me? Was right. This? You know? You're listening to 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 
to go forward. We we always talk when you're disagreeing. You know, you're listening to argue instead of listening True. to learn. Right. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. So I think it is a skill that I've perhaps had, but I have gotten better at. But I think anybody can. It's a choice. Yeah. I think it's. Uh, I think it's a kind thing to do to listen, and I think our country could use more of it. I agree. And I agree. And I hope we do that here. I hope this this is a place I think this podcast, I hope, is going to be a place where we can listen to people's stories and, and tell them, allow them to tell them themselves. And once you hear someone's story, you you do love them. I mean, yes. you use that word again. You just really do love someone when you know where they've been and what they've faced. And and so I think that's really awesome. That's one of the things that's worried me about the evolution of media is we get to curate our own media. Mm-hmm. When when you and I were young, there were fewer TV stations and yep. no social media. And so we we all as a nation shared the same news uh, sources same for the most part. <laughs> yes, same facts. And now we curate that and we we mute or unfollow anyone that we don't agree with or or like or they're not telling us what we already think or something. Yeah. And uh, and so I think we've become worse at listening. I agree. I totally agree. And, and I, I, ho- I hope we have a resurgence, a renaissance of listening yes, starting <laughs> and <here>. empathy. <laughs> so let's let's really quick. This is the fun part. Let's do a let's do a rapid okay, fire with you. <laughs> so, um, you know, one word answers or, or close to it. Uh, okay. Vulnerability for you is. Oh, it's telling your hardest story. Mm. Ooh, I love that. Um, what do people often get wrong about you? I think people, because I, I probably am quieter in a group setting, they might not realize how bold I am, how bold I can mm. be. I can see that, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen you in a in a group setting, and then I've seen you be bold. So, yeah, I absolutely think that's true. It's inside me, but I don't always show it the first day. I, which, is, which is a sign for me of confidence. Mm, well, thank you. So, I love it. Um... What's the last show you binged and loved? Ooh, you know, I'm not really a TV person, to be honest. Yeah. I, I watch very little TV, so I'm trying to think what I even watched. My eight-year-old, I have five kids, my youngest is eight, she's a caboose. She is in love with the Harry Potter series right now. Mm. And so I guess that was watching, She's she just finished book six and she's been watching the movies when she finishes the books. And so we've been, oh, I love that. I guess binging on Harry Potter. Oh, good, yeah. good. And say, Emma Kate lately, we've done Psych like three times oh, yes. during COVID. <laughs> And love then it. we did, lately it's been Phineas and Ferb again, so oh, nice. we kind of love Phineas Light-hearted and Lighthearted and funny. <laughs> we need that. Uh, favorite movie? Mm, the first one that comes to mind is Castaway, mm. which is a really interesting choice. I love the beach. I love the ocean. But I also love Here is a Man All by Himself and just how he gets through that. And the different stages he goes through, and then I ball at the end when, yeah. when he's he's still alive, and his his fiance is now married, and just the tragedy of it all. And the uh, the soundtrack, the the main the main music for that movie, I listen to when I just need to think. It's one of my favorite songs. Oh my word! I'm gonna have to listen to it. Yeah. I don't even the know. Castaway theme song. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's kind of moody music. It's uh-huh. definitely not one to run to or anything like <laughs> <Right>. that. <laughs> but if I'm writing or thinking or processing, I like that music. Oh, I love that. Okay. Uh, favorite meal? Ooh, uh, steak, asparagus, 
Mashed potatoes from real potatoes, not from powder. Uh, yes, yes, of course. And from yeah. Idaho, we must have real yes, potatoes. Yes, well, I was going to say, that's just a sacrilege to, to do uh, fake potatoes, right? I, just, I remember one, one time, Spencer, we were first married, and his grandma, we were at Thanksgiving dinner at her house, and she made like the pearl potato. And I was like, what is this? My mom had never made such a thing. And I'm like, I don't know. This is terrible. It's sacrilege. I know. I, I have a son who prefers it. And I just, oh. I'm like, I just don't understand mm. this. Yeah. No. Okay. What's on your nightstand? Mm, my nightstand. I just finished educated. Mm. Um, so oh my gosh. She, ter- she I had to really debrief. That's when I have a sister that we go back and forth on books. And that's when that she and I, we had to like call, we, we finished a book and we we're like, Okay, we have to talk. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a debrief one. So that is told from from Tara, who spoke at UV recently. Oh, did yeah, she? she? I didn't know yeah, that. And it was really fascinating. But she's from my area of Idaho. I uh-huh. didn't know her. She's a little bit younger than I am, and we weren't in the same city exactly. But as she described the stories in the town, it, it's my place. It's my hometown. So I related to it even on that level as well. And it was very well written. And then I also just finished Fighting Words. Ooh, I don't know that one. So one of my business colleagues recommended it, so I assumed it was on negotiation. Yeah. <laughs> Fighting words. No. It's a story about two girls in foster care. Oh, no kidding. And it's, oh, it's really well written. Down. Again, I bawled my eyes out. My sister has fostered uh, eight kids and, and adopted two of them, and I've been with her on that journey. And so... This story was just, it just hit home and it just helps you see people go through so much. Yeah. And uh, so well, I'm, I, that's so fun that you brought that up because obviously, you know, the, the initiatives that we're, we're working on is through uh, around foster care. Okay. We're, let's do a snapshot of an ordinary moment that gives you joy. Hmm. So my, my daughter, my youngest daughter, I, and I do love them all, but I just keep talking about her more. <laughs> <laughs> so when I pick her up from school... And uh, which isn't every day. Sometimes it's my high schoolers or my husband or a neighbor. But when I pick her up and I see her see me, yeah, and she just lights up and runs toward the car, I just, I just am in love with that moment, oh, and I just want to scoop that. her up. And she's just a total joy. She's a riot, but uh, I just, I just love it when she sees me, and she's so happy to see me. Oh my gosh, I love that. Even my fourteen-year-old is still pretty happy to see me. I think. <laughs> see each other. Uh, Jeanette, thank you. This has been such a fun conversation and I'm so excited that this podcast, everybody's going to get to know Jeanette better and um, everybody needs to know her better. She's amazing. I love chatting with you, Abby. Thanks. Thank you. I hope you guys loved getting to know my friends today. We're so excited to bring you along on our journey. You can find Kirsten Rapley on Twitter and Instagram at Kirsten Frankly. Jeanette Bennett can be found at UV Mag Lady on Twitter and at Jeanette W. Bennett on Instagram. Next episode is going to be a really great time. I'm going to introduce you to my final two co-hosts, Don and Shelly. Thank you for being a friend. Subscribe to our podcast anywhere podcasts are found.